Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It's a podcast that I record throughout the week and then I put it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I've got another great show for you this week with a couple of great interviews. I've got my first out-of-state interviewee, and I was pretty excited to get him. He's a big deal in Kansas City, and we get to talk to him for quite a while. And uh, I went I went on a road trip to Sand Hill Kitchen, and I went with my friend Rick Krillia. Hey, Rick, how are you? I uh, hope you're listening. And um, we went for lunch, and Jamie Wade, the chef at Sand Hill, she recorded a video with me. This kind of a love letter to Tubby, uh, and T- Tubby, the Duke's mayonnaise mascot. And I've got that little bit of interview for you. And I want to apologize ahead of time for some of the sound quality. It was recorded inside Sand Hill Kitchen, which is inside a gas station, which has all kinds of machines running constantly. And I tried to eliminate as much of the hum as I could, but I am not a sound technician. Uh, Anyways, uh, we talked to Jamie and we'll get to that in a little bit. But before we do, I want to review the food that we ate at Sand Hill Kitchen. I got the Reuben. Rick got the classic chicken sandwich. And then for the video, Jamie made some deviled eggs another chicken sandwich and their chicken, her chicken salad sandwich. And I also had the potato salad and I love Jamie's food. This Reuben was so good. I loved it. Uh, Very big for one thing. One of the biggest sandwiches I've had in a long time. I cut it in half. I ate half for lunch with some of that creamy potato salad. And I was stuffed like stuffed and I ate the other half in two separate sort of they weren't quite meals but two separate sittings with some space in between them some time in between them and uh it was great i just loved it and she sent me home i was too full to i ate a deviled egg right then and there and they were awesome they're not on her menu i don't believe she just made those for the video but you know if you can get her to make you some deviled eggs that would be your lucky day um, and she sent me home with the chicken sandwich and the chicken salad sandwich, me and Rick. And, um, man, those are some good sandwiches. I ate that stuff for days and it was great. And so hats off to chef Jamie Wade. I think I say in the interview, one of the best chefs in Western North Carolina. And, uh, a lot of people agree with me. Whenever I post about chef Jamie, I get a lot of, positive feedback from the public so all right let's get on with the show and at the end i will check back in with uh some reviews for you i'd like to do a little at least a couple of food reviews all right here we go Kitchen in, uh, on Sardis Road. Uh, in West Asheville, Candler, I can never tell the difference. It's, it's uh, West Asheville, technically. Technically, West Across Asheville. Across the street is Candler. 
done right on. And I'm here with Chef Jamie Wade, owner of Sand Hill Kitchen. And we are here with a bunch of Duke's mayonnaise and a bunch of stuff that Jamie makes with Duke's. And we're here just to record a little bit of a love letter to Tommy. Because unfortunately, Jamie won't be here when Tommy is here. I won't be. I'll be on vacation. And I'm very sorry to miss Tubby coming to Asheville. And Jamie, you think you use more dupes than just about anybody in the city. Is that about right? I probably use just about uh, as much or more as any other restaurant that uses dupes. I use approximately 8 to 10 gallons of this a week. 8 to 10 gallons of dupes a week. Do we have the ability to calculate that into how many gallons a year? Oh, I, I personally don't. I don't. No. Okay, let's just say a lot. That's a lot of gallons lot of dudes of in a year. Yeah. Probably fill up a swimming pool with I, the amount of dudes Yeah, quite a bit. And it never gets old. It never does, man. Everybody loves dudes around yeah. here. And, and Jamie, you use dudes in a lot of your products. I do indeed, yes. Oh my god, look at all of this. Look at all of those things. All of these things you can find at Sandville, and they are all made from a base of Duke's mayonnaise. Our mayonnaise, herb mayo, and our award-winning fried chicken sandwich. Our ranch blue cheese, our potato salad, pasta salad, our Thousand Island, and our Reuben. Our, uh, the sauce that goes in our crazy beef sandwich that people love. Our chicken salad that you see here, our pimento cheese that you see here, and uh, our honey mustard dressing. So. A lot of applications, and we all we base it all with And I just had a Reuben and a some potato salad, and it was fantastic. Both of them. I mean, this, this lady makes some of the best food in Western North Carolina, if not the entire country, right here. And Dukes, of course, makes it all that much better. And yeah, that uh, that Reuben was so creamy and good. And because this stuff is so good. Yeah, it gives it a nice twang to the sauce, you know. Yeah. And, and, and Jamie, if you could say one thing to Tubby, what would you say? Just, you know, keep on keeping on, and I'm glad you're coming to Asheville. I hope they give you the key to the city, and um, maybe one day you can come and see us at Sandville Kitchen when we're not on vacation. There you go, Tubby. <coughs> see Jamie when you're back in town. Nobody visits Asheville. Oh, come on. That's one of the rules. All right, Jamie. Well, oh, these deviled eggs. Let's focus in oh, on these yeah. because. Oh my God, I love deviled eggs. Those are so pretty. What do we got going on? We got some capers and caramelized onions, some radish from my garden, and a little tomato. This is some of our homemade pickles, and then this one's some basil and tomatoes and some jalapenos and dill. Okay. All right. We're gonna talk into all this food. Thanks, Jamie. You're Thank the best. You. High five. High five. Bye. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan here at Food Fan Headquarters. And today I have a really special guest. I know I say all my guests are special and they really are. But today is my first guest from outside of the Western North Carolina area. And believe me, we even had trouble because I forgot there were different time zones in the United States of America. So last week we were unable to connect because of my own stupidity about time zones. My guest right now is sitting in Kansas City, Missouri. His name is Jim Coley, and he is a wine expert, like a wine enthusiast, a person who has had a career in the wine world for many, many years. And he's currently the owner and wine director for a place in Kansas City 
called Sava Bistro. Uh, but I I met Jim at an, in an online meeting for Ben's Friends. And Ben's Friends is an organization I've mentioned a lot. It's a, sort of a support group around addiction for people who are in the food and beverage industry. And Jim, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I enjoyed your contribution to Ben's Friends very much. Pleasure. Happy to be here. Sure. Well, you're my first guest from out of state, as I mentioned. And Excited for that, too. Yeah. And the people of Asheville will be so happy to hear from you. Um, but let's talk first about your career in the wine world, and then we'll transition to Ben's friends, and that, and we'll talk about how that works, how you stay in the wine world sober. Uh, so sure. first of all, you work at a place called Sava, and the motto is, we like bubbles. Why don't you tell us all about Sava? Just give us the Sava pitch. Uh, so Sava has been open for nine years. Um, my business partner and I opened it. Um, he approached me. Um, about 10 years ago, um, he owned one of the first real farm-to-table restaurants in the market um, and had been approached by um, a, a landlord uh, with the idea of, you know, hey, would you love like to do a second concept? And he had been in uh, France staging uh, in, in Champagne. Um, and one of the things, he didn't speak French and most of the kitchen guys spoke no English. So there was, you know, a lot of nonverbal communication, but the one phrase he remembered hearing over and over, because they'd come over and check on him, was Sava, which is basically like, hey, is everything okay? How's it going? What's up? You know, kind of a variation depending on the context. So the phrase kind of stuck in his head. And, you know, he really loved champagne, and that was one of my specialties. Uh, so he he approached me and said, hey, you know, do you want to be – a consultant? Do you want to be an ongoing consultant or would you be interested in being an owner? And I said, well, you know, ownership sounds like it'd be pretty interesting. Um, my one caveat is that if we're going to do a champagne bar, I want to make it um, a grower heavy champagne bar. And he's like, I'm not sure what that means. He's like, everyone's, and I told him, everyone's going to think we're crazy for doing a champagne bar in Kansas City. Everyone's <laughs> going to think we're really crazy for doing a grower champagne bar in Kansas City. And that's a category of champagne that is um, like most high quality wine, um, farmer oriented, terroir oriented, vineyard oriented, region oriented, um, where most big brand champagnes are just champagne. Um, it'd be like picking up a Burgundy and just having like having it be called Burgundy. Um, mm -hmm. But that's the top of the the top of the pile of champagne normally. Um, and everywhere else, that's kind of like, well, that's fine, but that's not the best wine. Um and a lot of people were like, yeah, you guys are crazy. And it ended up working out really well. Um, you know, the past couple of years reopening after COVID, we've gotten some great uh, compliments from Champagne itself. They're a large marketing bureau named us one of the top places in the U.S. to get Champagne. Um, Dang. You know, some nice write-ups in Wine Spectator. And, you know, it's it's one of those that, like, people in the, in the market fell in love with it. But, you know, people from France come in and they're like, oh, my God, this is, like, I feel like I'm back back home you know people from the coast come in and you know i don't think there's as much of a gap as there was um 10 or 20 years ago uh, but they'll come in and be like oh wow i cannot believe this is not what i was expecting um to the positive side yeah. uh, so i've been doing that for nine years um sometimes behind the scenes more recently as a more active floor presence um and yeah so that was that's that was uh my restaurant experience. I got into wine, if that's of interest. Yeah. Get, how did it. you, 
You know, when I was growing up, I got into beer because I wanted to get drunk, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't really get into wine. I wasn't into food per se when I was a young person. But now that I don't drink, I actually really wish that I had spent some time being into wine because it would have been so great to enjoy it with my food. So did you first get into wine around food or just for wine? So, or uh, The kind of funny story of how that happened, the initial thing for me uh, my parents liked food a lot, got, took me out to eat. I, I was exposed to nice restaurants at a relatively young age, was totally comfortable, you know, would show off a little bit on, you know, high school dates. And uh, at the end of college, my uh, my girlfriend then and, you know, she she started cooking. We we're trying to be a little bit more fancy and grown up. And for the celebratory dinner, we went to this really nice restaurant in Baltimore and, you know, menu shows up and I'm looking at it, I'm like, cool, I know what to do. And then it was one of those old school places with a wine list that's like that thick. And I realize you probably can't see what I'm doing, but it's one of those wine lists that's more book, um, an old school list where there's like 30, 40, 50 pages. And in my memory, the, the waitress drops it on the table and just slouch thump, like a heavy <laughs> book coming down. And I look at it, I'm like, oh God, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> and we'd started drinking a little bit of wine to be fancy. Um White Zinfandel was was pretty standard. And I flipped through this book and it's, you know, again, in my memory, it's now a thousand pages. It was probably a 20 page wine list in reality. Um, but I finally said, I'm ordering the White Zinfandel because I don't know what the hell else to do. And I was kind of, you know, in retrospect, probably shouldn't have been embarrassed. I mean, I was 21, able to legally buy wine. Um, but I was kind of like, huh. It feels like there's this whole other world here that I don't know. And I'd gotten a little bit into what passed for the craft beer scene at that time. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, experiment a little bit. And so I immediately went about learning it the dumbest way possible, which was what are the fanciest French wines, first growth Bordeaux, fancy Burgundy. So I spent too much money buying bottles and I made a lot of buying mistakes, bought off vintages, properties that had fallen into disrepair. But I bought some really special stuff too. And, and I remember... Um, my epiphany moment with a wine and how really interesting it could be. Uh, there was a store where I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in, in and around Princeton. There was a really great wine store that's still there. And um, the owner was from Burgundy. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of interested in this stuff. What's something that'll really open my eyes? And he gave me um, a 1993 uh, Domaine Ampo Volnay. And it was probably about six years old. So it had a little time to move past or move into, you know, being a little bit interesting. Um, but I took it home and I opened it. And it was in that weird way that wines just don't give anything. Sometimes taste I'm like, oh, there's nothing going on here. 30 bucks wasted and 30 bucks wine. Now that's a $300 bottle of wine, probably. Um, wow. I'm like, eh, I put it on the counter and opened something else. And the next day, there's just this huge downpour trapped in the apartment. I'm like, well... I've got dinner. I guess I'll see what's going on with this wine. I tasted it and it magically changed into this like superb, you know, aromatic and flavor experience. I'm like, huh, that was really interesting. And now I'm kind of hooked. That is interesting. I'm, I'm an idiot. What happened to the wine overnight? Just the exposure to the air? Yeah. Exposure to air will sometimes open a wine up. Certain vintages, certain wines just won't always give um the best experience right when they're opened um okay. and so yeah it was just one of those weird magical transformations where i'm like oh 
wow, there's something really cool that happens in the bottle. And now I want to know more about this. And I ended up working at that shop after being a customer. Um, when I moved out to Kansas City, I worked in retail um, for a while, jumped over to a restaurant that sadly no longer exists, but had been a Wine Spectator Grand Award winner. That was my first restaurant experience. Um, left that right around the Great Recession and landed back at retail and then over into Savaz and owner. So that's kind of the short version of my path through wine, um, but always specialized in European wine, France, primarily Italy, a little bit, Spain, a little bit, Germany, a little bit. Well, I read on your LinkedIn profile that you work to sort of um, re maintain up to date and reduce a certain collection down to a quote unquote manageable level. I thought that was interesting. That, so what's the that story was the old behind grand that? award. That was the old Grand Award winner. It was a restaurant called Starker's. And for a while, um, Kansas City actually had two Grand Award winners. It was, again, it's a strange market because for our size, we sometimes do things that are incredibly outsized. And so there were two restaurants here that probably in the mid-2000s finally hit a point where we just couldn't keep things um, because of the super restaurants in Las Vegas and some of the, the huge markets around the world had just built these wine lists where they're just, you know, they're, they're massive. Um, we couldn't acquire some of the things and we couldn't replenish verticals. So if, a, if someone came in and demolished like a vertical of say like DRC Latash, there was no way of replacing it anywhere near affordable cost. Um, okay. So when my, a friend of mine bought that restaurant as the chef and then asked me to come in as the wine director. And so there was this massive collection of, you know, old school Napa cab, um, you know, just the things where I'm like, okay, this is the kind of wine, like the kind of wine list I got handed in Baltimore. When I, I remember seeing tables, like where I'd hand it to them, they'd look at it briefly and then order cocktails because they just didn't want to mess with something that was, you know, 500 choices. And sometimes I could get to them and help them pick something quickly. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I could see how like that massive wine list was instead of like cool and exciting for people, really intimidating and, and sure. kind of drove down wine sales instead of drove up wine sales. Oh, so interesting. I trimmed that, that down. I mean, it was still a big list for, for the market, but it was one of those where, you know, Napa cabs that, you know, weren't, weren't in fashion anymore, added a lot of domestic Pinot Noir, fleshed out a little bit Bordeaux and Burgundy. So, yeah. Well, this conversation like all of the terminology, the names you're using and such, it's so obvious how deeply immersed you are in the wine world and have been for a while and how much your partners, employees and friends and people must depend on you for that depth of knowledge. Uh, and it sounds like you have been contributing to bringing Kansas City a fantastic wine scene for a long time. So I would imagine that you're well known in your area and in your field. And Jim, this leads us to the second part of our conversation. Like at a certain point in your life, I think I read around 2019, you uh, decided to quit drinking. And now you're a yeah. member of Ben's Friends and you have been sober. And uh, I, and you're still uh, owner of a of Sabah and you're still interested in and working with wine. So how does that even work? I know the struggles of being in the food industry and trying to stay sober. How does that work for you, yeah. brother? Um, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I, so the, 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 I tried a couple of times to back my way into it. 
Um, I knew for a while that I had developed a drinking problem. It ran in my family. Um, I was, you know, behind the scenes. I was very good at hiding it um, behind a veneer of professionalism. I knew how to go home at the right moment. Um, but I also knew, like, as I was moving on, my grip was slipping. Like, I was, you know, occasionally tripping up in public a little bit more, making worse and worse decisions. Um And I always had that that like little you know sober guy on his shoulder being like you're you're blowing it man you're you're gonna have to, something's gonna have to change. Um, I started feeling the physical effects of it. You know there were things where I'm like, huh, I can't bullshit myself anymore. Sorry, I think I'm allowed. I allowed to curse. No, but I can take that out. No okay, problem. Cool. Sorry, yeah, I realize I get the explicit on Spotify. Anyway, That's okay. Um, <laughs> It's usually me so. that drops an f bomb and has to take it out. So I'm actually yeah, yeah, great yeah. grateful that you you. I broke I broke the, I broke, the broke the seal. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so I had done like things like dry January or taking 30 days off, taking 60 days off, and in my head I went through the you know the same rationales that people with you know alcohol abuse issues often do, which is that you know hey if I just give myself a break I can get it back under control. Um, if I prove to myself that I can live without it for this extended period of time, I've got it more under control than I think I do. And I mean, you know, I'm one of those people who's lying to himself every time he did that. And, you know, 90 days one time. And when I picked up, I, was, I had, had a great bottle of a very famous uh, Pinot Noir producer, Grail Pinot Noir for me. And I uh, had it at dinner. And, you know, within, I think, a week or two, I was like, wow, I'm right back where I was. Mm. Right back to my level of consumption, right back to all the issues I had before you know, before day one. Mm. And so in, in 2019, I was at, in late March, I was at a natural wine fair in Chicago. Um, and the wine fair, you know, tasted and spat, went to the dinner after, didn't really drink there. There was an after party for that, had started drinking. There was the super cool hipster, cool kids after after party that I ended up at with a lot of, you know, prominent producers, some really, you know, awesome wine people. And at the same time, I was looking around, I'm like, you know, I've been to this so many times now, and it's always the same thing. And I'm, you know, it's just, it's, it's leaving me empty inside. Like all the things that I really found joyful about wine, I wasn't feeling anymore. Mm. And I was just feeling, you know, pain, isolation, um, you know, the damage I was doing. And, uh, there was I, I won't I won't say his name. But there was a, a pretty well known like indie rock guy from a while ago who'd become a natural wine guy, and I could see him walking around looking just kind of bemused at like why am I even here? And I kind of had a moment of like why am I here? Nothing <laughs> cool is happening here for me. It's the same thing every single time. Mm. And I'm like you know I think I might have to be done. Mm. I think I might just have to be done. And a couple days later. Um, you know, I, I'd like to say that was the night I just stopped drinking, but it took a couple more days before I'm like, nope, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And it was April 1st, 2019, April Fool's Day, which is kind of funny because there's no significance to it other than it just happened to be, uh, the Monday after the last Sunday, I, you know, had the Sunday day drinking at brunch and going home and drinking with dinner and waking up with the horrible anxiety you have after you know you've wrecked your brain drinking right um and and, and i knew what it meant because it was why it took me so long to get there that i was putting down um almost my entire identity at that point 
I was giving up, you know, my professional, in my mind, I might have to, at the time, I might have to give up my professional career, I was giving up the thing I'd been most passionate about, you know, I was giving up the thing that I thought may be interesting to people. Um, I was going to basically like write off 20 plus years of my life and say, well, I'm going to see what happens now and hopefully it'll be okay. Um, but the choice I had was to do that or, you know, in my mind to do that or die slowly, or maybe not even that slowly. Cause you never know. Yeah. Um, well, that is and, so scary to look at. That must've been frightening. Oh yeah. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what else I can do because sure. the choice really seemed stark to me at that point, which was like, I can die or I can, you know, and I mean, the other thing was, is like, I'd, you know, I've, I've said this in the, in Ben's meetings and, and other meetings where I'm like, you know, there was just no juice left to squeeze. Huh. Like I couldn't lie to myself anymore that I was finding any joy in what I was doing. So it was either like, you know, live a life of no joy and die soon or find out what was behind door number two. Hey, and what a great so, way to yeah. put it. Door number two. So yeah. uh, what was behind door number two? You're still in the wine business. Um, and I have a very specific question that I hope you don't find annoying. Um, no, not at all. I had, to, I, as I said, I don't know a lot about wine personally. I didn't get into it soon enough. Um, but uh, I looked up online that a typical tasting involves like a bunch of S's. What are they? See, uh, swirl, sniff, sip, savory, and spit, or sip, yeah. savor, and spit. Um, yeah. Do you still do all that because you spit? I still taste in a professional capacity. Um, and that's something that I don't necessarily recommend to most people in early sobriety. Um, I think I was able to do it because I knew I was done. Like there was a, a switch that really flipped for me. Okay. Um, yeah. And I don't know that that switch flips for everybody. And I, I say that, and I'm also, you know, I've seen people relapse at like the most random times. So I'm very, very, very conscious of that. It's one of the reasons I'm very public about it in the business. Like I want all my reps to know, like, Hey, like, I'm not the guy who's going out drinking with you. Like that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not a fun guy like that anymore. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, that's interesting. You say that Jim, I'm not a fun guy like that anymore. Um, you're probably a much more fun guy in different ways than you were when you were drinking uh, too much. You know, I, I, I was right, a fun guy up to a point, you know, and then yeah. I wasn't very fun anymore. Yeah. I mean, to, to cut to to cut to the end a little bit, like at four years and a couple of months, I'm happier than I've ever been. Yeah, there you go. That's the magic yeah, words right there. That, that's the punchline of the story. But I didn't know, and I didn't know how quickly it would it would how long it would take me to get there, how how not long it would take me to get there. Um, I really was stepping into the unknown, and I, I see that in new newly sober people, and that's terrifying. Oh yeah, you know, you've learned how to live one way, you've learned to live with instant gratification, you've learned with something that. You know, I mean, it's anesthetic. It's anesthetic to all the bad feelings. And it turns out to be anesthetic for all the good feelings, too. But, you know, if you're someone who struggles with, you know, anxiety, depression, um, myriad mental health issues. I mean, I didn't realize just one of the things that allowed me to get free um, was I realized, like, I'm, I was, you know, waking up and like, just, you know, waking up in waking up with nightmares. And I had a, I'm like, I'm going to try meditation for like the eighth or ninth time. And for some reason it stuck. And I was able to really hear myself um, and hear what was going on in my head. And I realized that for all the like air of like 
cool, calm, collected vibe that I tried to cultivate over the years, I was wrecked with anxiety, mm. um, which, of course, alcohol makes even worse. But I had a lot of probably, you know, untreated mental health issues that, sure. that you know, alcohol obscured and then exacerbated. And when I put down alcohol, all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I got to listen to my brain a lot more. Um, but over time, I picked up better tools to grapple with that meditation being a key one. Um, you know, groups like Ben's Friends being another huge one. Um, just being around other people. Um, and I, you know, I, I, there aren't a ton of, I think, wine professionals going the route I've gone, but they exist. There's a master of wine who's sober. Um, I know a couple of other people who have, you know, stayed, stayed in the business, but, you know, stopped drinking. Do you um, feel a certain camaraderie with those individual people? I think, what, I mean, certainly with the Ben's Friends crew, I mean, that's that's a tightly knit group. Yeah. Um, I've been, you know, I've visited Portland a couple of times. I visited Louisville in COVID. It was like the one trip I took um, was to visit, you know, some people who were from God, Baltimore and Charleston were coming to Louisville. So I went from Kansas City to Louisville. So there's there's that camaraderie there that that I think is built, you know, unintentionally because the Zoom meetings were you know, it was originally intended to be like all local oriented. And when COVID hit, we we all had to kind of jump online. And so a bunch of people who probably never would have met got to know each other. Um, and those are, you know, the, the best friends I've made, you know, in the past 10 years easily. Jim, um, I'm, I'm new to Ben's friends and I've only been attending online. I haven't been to a live meeting and I love the online meetings. I think they're awesome. Yeah. And I, of course, couldn't help but notice just the amount of respect that the people on Ben's Friends have for you. When you your little window popped up in the Zoom meeting, I mean, the person who was talking was all like, oh, Jim Coley's here. I don't I want to hear from him. Uh, and I wondered, like, does that uh, this might be hard for you to talk about, but does that amount of respect carry over into the wine world? Are are people like, man, I. Jim is so cool. He's still in the wine biz. He's sober. He still supports I, us. Like, how, yeah. how do the people in the industry feel about you, Jim? People, no, people in the industry have been incredibly supportive. Um, I, honestly, everyone has. And that's one of the funny things, go. I think, that people don't believe. And it's one of the reasons, like, some of us, you know, especially the, you know, the Ben's Friends leadership, um, stepped away from the anonymous model. Like we need people to know like, Hey, you know, whether you want to stick around or whether you want to like transition out, like it's okay, man. Like there's people who have done this. There's someone who's no matter how unique you think your experience is now, nah, you're, you're not that special. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And which that's... is one of the lessons of AA and stuff is like, you give the first yeah. thing, you're not that special. Now you can start yeah. to heal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, people in the business are super supportive of it. Um, yeah. You know, I, you do have people reach out. And I've had, I mean, and, and I've even had people reach out from outside the market who are like, hey, you know, I'm concerned. Um, some people come in and stay in. Some people, you know, explore other things. Some people just sometimes need a, a reality check. And like, hey, I was a little out of control for a stretch there. Um, you know, I make myself available that way. Uh -huh. Um but no, it's, it's, it's people understand like it's a risky business. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, I mean, I, one of the things that has made me sad over the years has been, you know, seeing things pop up on Facebook where it's some beloved figure in another market, um, 
passed away too young and no one will talk about online what happened. But if you know behind the scenes, like, well, that person got, you know, so drunk at home by themselves, they fell down and bashed their head open and there was no one to come, you know, call an ambulance. So they died. And I think that's something that's the darkest part of the business for me is how many people die unnecessarily isolated or feeling isolated when there's so many people out there just like, we want to help. Like, yeah. don't have to do this yourself. Um, and it's not, you know, there's no magic solution. Some people, you know, some people make it, some people don't. There's no way to to know, you know. Yeah. I, I, if, if there was a way to know, this this whole process would be a lot easier for everybody. Um, it sure would. And I, I also appreciate the non-anonymous, is that a word, um, aspect of Ben's friends. Because when I first started to uh, write about food in Asheville, I realized right away that I had to let everybody know that I don't drink anymore because drinks started to come to my table. And my <laughs> listeners are sick of hearing me say this. I say this a lot. I tell this little story about how I had to be like, no, I don't drink. And people in the moment were actually kind of disappointed. Like, I, and I have a hard, I'm a people pleaser. So at one point I almost yeah. drank a cocktail just to make the person who sent it to me happy. And I said, wow, that's the craziest thing ever. <laughs> what the hell? And so I didn't. And then I started to tell everybody I don't drink. And I felt like that was one of the best things I ever did. There's, I mean, any number of reasons, not the least of which is, you know, bartenders, especially now with mocktails becoming a thing, mm -hmm. they love to play. So yeah. I'll, I'll sometimes go to a favorite restaurant, sit at the bar, and usually it's someone I know. But if it's not, I'm like, hey, I don't drink. But if you want to test out some mocktails, you know, I'll pay for them, obviously. But, you know, test drive some stuff with me. Like, let's play. Yeah. And most of the time, virtually every time, you know, whether it's someone I know or someone I don't, they light up because they want to be like, hey, here's something I've been playing with, with juice or, you know, an NA version of um, an aperitivo, you know, what do you think? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think a, a lot of times people can still give you that special touch, but once they know you're not drinking, it just changes to, to something a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I think is really important is getting the shame aspect out of it. And I understand, you know, when AA was founded, we didn't have as mm -hmm. good an understanding of what addiction was, is rather and uh you know it's it's a disease you yeah know, it's it's one of those things where the behavior it can provoke and that's one of the tough things is like it provokes really awful behavior um but it's also a disease that you know is is one of those things that you know you can't you have you just yeah. have it yeah You're not a bad person for having it no no um, no and I find like my dad went to AA, right? And he really depended on the anonymous aspect of AA. He didn't want people in the small towns to know that he was an alcoholic, right? Like a stigma. And, but now like my generation, generation X is like, I don't care. You know, I, there's the whole world is addicted to something. So I'm not going to feel ashamed of my addiction. I'm just going to try to get over it because it's my life. And I think that, I actually, I respect anybody who wants to stay anonymous. It's a hundred percent your personal choice, but I actually have found it to be easier to stay sober. I think because I am public about it and I, yeah. and you know, I'm, I still love to bask in people's respect, right? Like, and people seem to respect me sometimes for not drinking. And I don't know who respected me for drinking, but I sure thought the world respected me because I could down a ton of beer, right? But yeah. 
Um, I mean, I Jim, think I've had. Yeah. No, go ahead. I, was just, I think I've had one negative reaction in four and a half years, for almost four and a half years. And what was that reaction? It was, uh, it was basically, it was probably in like the second year or like first, and it was someone who didn't know um, and basically gave me the, oh, you'll be back. And I'm like, mm, uh, I'm glad you think so. And uh, I haven't been back. So. <laughs> That's harsh, man. That's terrible. Anybody who would say that to an alcoholic probably needs to look in the mirror a little bit. I mean, there was some of that. You don't ever want to diagnose anyone, but you know, some people, yeah. some people, you know, are happy you got free. Other people, like you know, it makes them ask hard questions of themselves. So, oh, well, I I have a hard question, and then we need to wrap up. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Jim, here's my hard question: Do you feel bad ever? selling people alcohol knowing that there's alcoholism in the world uh yes absolutely it's something i wrestle with i had a real tough time in the holidays with um and i'm it's something i'm still trying to answer for myself um you know i i one of the people there was a night in the bar where you know an older couple came in and they were clearly intoxicated. There was a neighbor who was, you know, a neighbor of the business who was even more intoxicated. Um, and it, it, to the point where it got unpleasant. And the nice thing about my place is, you know, the, the actually the staffs very, all have very healthy relationships to alcohol. Um, it's been one of the nice things is being able to, you know, have a culture of, of healthiness around it um, behind the scenes. Um, so we don't typically have a whole lot of like, you know, drinker drama. Um, and I'm usually very good at dealing with it when there is. Um, but this was just one of those nights where, you know, like the, the older couple like fell leaving. Oh God. The, the one neighbor was just, he was just, he was a nice guy, but he was, it was, it, it was one of those things where I'm like, I feel like this guy might be starting a spiral. And I was right. Cause he died a few months later. Oh no, um, Jim, that's yeah. terrible. So I mean, that, you do feel some of that, and it sounds like something you're just going to have to wrestle with. Because I mean, I, I think that it's perfectly noble to sell people wines that they enjoy, right? Like I believe that that's a perfectly noble career goal because people love wine, and not everybody has alcoholism. And I mean, it, in the way it's it's it evolved in human society, it, it's probably been a net benefit. You know, a lot of the ways we got closer as social beings involved a little bit of, you know, social lubricant. I mean, I've had I've had people who are moving out of town stop by, you know, when I was working at retail, stop by and like literally just like, hey, you know, we wanted to thank you for adding so much to our life while we lived here. Like it was Boom. great getting to know you. There you go. Um, you know, I've I'm friends with people who, you know, I mean, dear friends with people I sold wine to. Mm -hmm. um, I still have lots of friends in the business. So on the one hand, I look at that and I'm like, you know, hey, there's, there's so much beauty around this. And I mean, I remember why I got into it. I loved it because it's such a, you know, so much beauty in the culture. It's the pinnacle of human farming. There's all these good reasons to love it. And there's, you know, also the sad truth that some people can't do it. And yeah. I don't know, you know, I mean, I think the relationship we all have with it is changing um and we'll probably continue to change for the rest of rest of my adult life anyway i agree um, and and jim it's i got 
I got to cut oh, yeah. things off. Uh, we, oh, yeah, I'm just yeah. on, running up against the time limit here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, I've enjoyed this conversation very, very much. Uh, thanks for being my first out of state guest and talking to me about mm-hmm. such an important uh, topic. And I'm sure I'll see you on Ben's Friends and. Again, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for the Ben's Friends community. I know I'm new, but I can tell that you've been an important part of it. So it's, thanks it's for been a, it's been a it's been a real yeah been been a great thing to be a part of, and I'm really in, in, enthused to see how much more I can keep growing. It's, yeah, it's it's good to see. One of my favorite things in the world is to see like the light come back in people's eyes as they kind of like, wow, I might be able to do this after all. It's a great, 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 great feeling. So yeah, it's easier anyway. it's easier with support from people. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. All right, Jim. Sure. Well, have have a wonderful rest of your day. And thanks for putting up with me while I figured out the time zone situation here in the United States. <laughs> no worries States. at all, man. Like I said, national meetings make that a uh, math challenging. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jim Coley. He's a real nice guy and so well-respected by his friends and colleagues and all of the people in the Ben's Friends continuum, the universe, I guess I'll call it. Uh, Well, right now, I want to just review a couple of things. I want to review four restaurants I went to. Three of the places Don and I went to in one night, we did one of our snack and saunters we call it it's essentially just a a food tour without all of the history of Asheville in between the stops (laughs) we went to three places on her birthday and also on my own or actually not on my own I ran into my good friend Will Rice from Henko Repro Graphics we often run into each other downtown and he's always game for lunch this is one of the many things I love about Will Rice and uh, I I can talk him into going just about anywhere. And he was game to go check out Miyako House right on College Street next to, basically next to Twisted Laurel. And they make sushi and other uh, like hot dishes as well as as sashimi and all of, all of the stuff you would expect from uh, an American style sushi bar. I've never been to Japan, so I don't know if the sushi bars in Japan are much different. But this one is exactly what you would expect when you walk into one here in the States. And uh, I wasn't, I was trying to lose a little bit of weight, so I wasn't down for like a ton of food. So I just got myself one roll. It was called the Snow White Roll. And um, it was freaking great. I loved it, man. Um, I always order something kind of weird from the specials section and i do like cooked um sushi as well as raw sushi and this one uh the snow white had some baked spicy crab uh with avocado and it was wrapped in white tuna and it also had scallion and eel sauce on top, and it was freaking good. It, the tuna was uh, cooked very silky and smooth and delicious. The eel sauce was very delicious, and, of course, it came with some pickled ginger and some wasabi, both of which I am a big fan of. And so I powered down this small-ish roll, and I was full enough to, to get the job done for lunch, 
and without being overly full, which was my goal. And a uh, good friend, Will Rice, he got the surf and turf roll. And that one was like wrapped in uh, like it, the roll itself was sort of wrapped in steak, if you will. Uh, it was a spicy tuna roll topped with seared rare steak and it had jalapeno and wasabi sauce. And while I didn't try it, it looked delicious and he powered it down. He said it was great. Now, I I am going to go back to Miyako House and sort of eat my way through sections of the menu and try it all, and I'll report back to you frequently on that. All right, so on Dawn's birthday, she and I went on a snack and saunter, if you will. That is something that is a tradition with her, with me and her, which is we go to three places, sometimes four if we're feeling it, and we get small plates and she has light cocktails and wine and I have coffee and non-alcoholic beverages. And for her birthday, we started at Tall John's, the new place in Montford. And Tall John's is awesome without a doubt. Ain't no doubt about it. If you're a local, go to Tall John's. You're going to freaking love it. Uh, it's a little spendy, but everything is these days. Take a look at the menu before you go so you have some idea of the prices um you know i don't want you to have any sticker shock and then but the food is awesome to me totally worth it i don't spend like that every time i go out to eat but on don's birthday money was no object so and from there we headed over to cultura and cultura is oh, i'm sorry no not cultura um contrada I'm sorry, do, we do love cultura, but that would be a long saunter, right? That would be quite the saunter um, all the way down to the South Slope from Montford. But no, we headed to Contrada. And Contrada is right on Wall Street, or as sometimes it's called, walkable Wall Street. I know that's cheesy. But uh, yeah, Contrada is uh, like a tiny little part of Cucina 24. And we got pizza. And I had, oh, at Tall John's, I should say, I had this drink that's a non-alcoholic beverage. Dang it, I forget what it's called right now. But it's a bitter drink. And it comes in a cute, tiny little bottle. And it's something that they have in Europe and uh, you can drink it straight up and it's great. Or you can use it as a mixer in cocktails or non-alcoholic beverages. I just had it straight up. I wish I could remember the name. You, they'll know what you're talking about if you sort of describe it. It was great. And at Contrada, I had, they actually, there's a thing called a phony Negroni that comes in a can or a bottle and it also, uh, and, and it tastes like a Negroni. Now, Don ordered a Negroni at Contrada, and it didn't look anything like, they didn't appear the same. Like the phony Negroni was red-ish, uh, and the real Negroni was more orangey uh, the way it should be. But it's real good. I like these phony Negronis. I like a lot of these new fake cocktails, uh, as long as they're, you know, reasonably priced. I think I pay like 6 and $7 for these things. And again, I'm out splurging. I don't, normally, I'm not going to pay a lot for a beverage because I'm good with water. And it's not just because I'm cheap. Uh, it's because I love water. Water's my favorite. Um, and then finally, we ended up at La Bodega, the wine bar above the market downstairs, the market and bakery downstairs. 
and we sat at the bar and um, we lucked out with a couple of seats at the bar. The people in front of us weren't cool with sitting at the bar. They preferred to wait for a table and we were like, we'll take that. Uh, and so we jumped in and we just had one more final. Um, I had another fake cocktail and Don had, an, uh, forget what she had, glass of vermouth, I believe, some Spanish vermouth. Yes. And we had just a little bit of cheese and ham. And uh, we were done. We were full. We were done. We were tired. We walked back to the car and we came home. And it was a lovely, lovely experience in downtown Nashville. I know whenever I talk about downtown Nashville, some somebody pipes up and oh, it's horrible. All I hear is about the crime and violence and people pooping in the streets and stuff. And they describe it like it's Escape from New York down there in the movie Escape from New York. Uh, but it's not. It's really nice downtown and you can walk around now. True story. And this is probably not going to do a lot to sell downtown to some people, but you know, on wall street, there's some sculptures. Uh, there's three cats. There's one like scratching the wall, one climbing a post and one like up on the wall, looking over the wall. And if you follow where the cat is looking and you look over the wall, there's two little sculptures of rats down there i don't know if you know that but it's really cool it's one of my favorite sculpture things in downtown well that night on wall street when don and i were there one of the rats came to life and we saw it scurry down the street yikes it is city living down there and in case anybody's like see Asheville's gotten so bad the reason there are sculptures of rats on wall street is because it is <laughs> notoriously notoriously it has rats like that's just something about it anyways sorry if that's repulsive to you but man i lived in chicago chicago illinois holy moly you haven't seen anything like it yo uh yeah um they cavort in your yard like squirrels do here in the mountains and my roommate, Sean, rode a BMX everywhere, and he would ride through the alleys. And I don't know if you know, in Chicago, they got sidewalks and streets in front of all the buildings and alleys behind all the buildings. And the alleys are where you put your trash out and full of rats, man, rats, 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 rats. And he would ride his BMX down the alleyways, and the rats would get sort of startled, and they would run in the same direction he was going. So they would run along with him and there would be more and more and more as he rode through the alleys. And there you go. Scary stories from Chicago, a city that I love very much, but it was a real city, like in terms of that kind of stuff. And Asheville is still a cute little town. And I'm, and I'm not even kidding. This rat that we saw on Wall Street was kind of cute. It really was. All right, folks. Uh, Oh, the pizza guy is here. Hey, Drew, how's it going, man? Hey, Stu, doing going well, man. I got your pizza here. What do we got this week? Oh, uh, this week's the Saucy Hog. We brought it back for July, man. I think we're going to do it every year for July. Um, this one's an Eastern style, North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina style barbecue. Uh, pulled pork. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's just the pulled pork with sauce on it. It's very saucy. Uh, cheese <laughs> and then some coleslaw on top with some jalapenos and the coleslaw. Give it a little kick. And it's you good. add that coleslaw after it comes Afterwards, out the oven. Yeah, yeah. Man, nice and, and nice it, and crisp. 
Are you telling me the last time we had this was a year ago? It was a in year July? ago. Yes, that's been a year, man. So is this the first pie that you ever brought me here at my house? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Wow, yeah. it's our anniversary, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yes. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. And of course, Drew Peterson, pizza genius in my opinion, <laughs> well, from Asheville you. Pizza South, uh, making the pies for pickup <laughs> and delivery within a reasonable area. Yes. Uh, and Drew, this is your pizza of the month for July. For the rest of July, yes. That's awesome, yes, man. Thank you, man. Well, how are things going at the pizza place? Oh, going well, man. Busier than ever. You know, it's a, yeah, no complaints here, man. Uh, yeah, we're just trying to stay stay ahead of everything. It's going well. Well. And I, I heard you were kind of excited that Tubby is coming to town. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. I am very excited and um, working up a little something special for Tubby. Um, should I talk about it or should yeah, I Yeah, okay. well, spill whatever right. you're well, willing to spill. I, you know, honestly, I haven't made one yet, but uh-huh. uh, in my mind, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so it's going to be a Duke May- Duke's Mayo and Sriracha base. Okay. Like sriracha only kind of thing with Duke's. Um, cheese uh and then i want to do um like a deviled egg kind of thing so i'm gonna and i was thinking and um i, I got one of my homies a, a chef from a different restaurant i'm not gonna mention the name because i'm not sure if he's gonna do it yet okay but he had these pickled eggs at his okay. restaurant um do like pickled eggs then take the yolk out devil get the deviled egg kind of cream slice the devil the pickled yolks uh, or the the whites uh-huh. use that as a topping and then do like a deviled egg cream on top like a swirl like a swirl you do? yeah nice yeah. the and spiral then, uh, yeah and then probably do we were talking about doing like a it's almost I don't even know it, it kind of like a like a chow chow you know kind okay. of but it's like a kimchi pickled onions and carrots kind of thing dang um, yeah so we're, uh, we're still like I said I haven't made any of it yet all um, right but in my mind I feel like it's gonna be good but it's yeah. it's gonna be all like a you know, uh, the the Duke's mayo is going to be in the deviled egg yeah. cream and the base. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, did, I just bought a tub recently, and it's really good. Oh, man. I, I've never really been into mayonnaise like that, you know. Uh-huh. Um, it, you know, I didn't have a, I wasn't a brand-loyal kind of guy, but right, uh, right. it's really good, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Duke's yeah. is uh, same here. Like, yeah. I grew up up north. My last name is Helm. I grew right. up eating Hellman's. Okay, cool. Right? Yeah, but yeah. I get down south, and people are like, Duke's, Duke's, Duke's. And I was like, what? Yeah. What could be the difference, <laughs> yeah. man? Yeah. But then when you taste it, it is yeah. richer, creamier, yeah. and has I that. I guess they use more pattern. egg? Yeah, everything? they use the whole egg. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Egg, the yolk yeah. and the whites. And Interesting. Not all mayonnaises do that, apparently. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Drew, this thing smells terrific. Yeah, I can't well, wait to tuck in, uh, yeah, brother. Man. Everybody check them out at uh, AshevillePizzaSouth.com. Yes, 1850 Hendersonville Road in South Asheville. Uh, hit us up online, AshevillePizzaSouth.com, AshevillePizzaSouth at Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hit us up. All right. All right. Thanks again, brother. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, and that's the end of the show. That Saucy Hog pizza was awesome. It was everything it sounded like and more. Folks, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for my guests. Thanks to my guests for being on the show. Thanks to WPVM, the voice of Asheville broadcasting to the world, for taking my humble podcast and turning it into a radio broadcast. And thanks again for listening. If it follow me on social media, Stu Helm Food Fan on Facebook, Instagram, what have you. Substack, don't forget about Substack. And folks, if you eat something good, look me up and let me know about it. Bye.
This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.